0: Well, a very pleasant good morning to you once again. My Bible is open to Psalm 1, Psalm 1, and I would invite you to open your Bible there as well to the text that our brother Richard read for us as we began our assembly and worship to God this morning. When God created us as people who are in His image and according to His likeness, He gave us a choice of living life one of two ways. We can either live life His way or we can live life Satan's way. And you see that all throughout the Scripture, even going back to the very beginning. As you think back to the Garden of Eden, God obviously gave man, Adam, a choice. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, we read that that choice consisted of Adam either choosing, deciding to partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, uh, not to partake of the tree of knowledge of good and evil and uh, live, or to eat from it and die. And of course, we all know the choice that Adam and Eve made. Under Moses, in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 through 20, we read there that God gave Israel, His own chosen special people, a choice. It was a choice between life and prosperity or death and adversity. In the days of Joshua, as we go on throughout Israel's history at the very end of Joshua's life, in Joshua 24, verses 14 and 15, we probably all remember, even the little ones here this morning, the words, really the choice that Joshua, God through Joshua, was setting before His people at that point. That they could either serve the true and living God of heaven, or they could serve the false gods of their fathers, or the false gods of the land in which they we're living. And even as Jesus Christ came on the scene and He began to preach, and especially as He preached what we call the Sermon on the Mount in that great mountain message, toward the very end of that message in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, Jesus, God, was giving all who listened to that sermon a choice. You can either walk in the wide way or you can walk in the narrow Way, And such, I believe, is the case when we come to Psalm 1. As this psalm really serves as the gateway to the entire Psalter, I believe God is calling upon all of us here to choose which way we are going to walk and to choose which path we're going to walk in for the rest of our life before we continue on to the rest of the Psalms. Are we going to walk in the foolish way or are we going to walk in the wise way? Are we going to walk in the wicked way or are we going to walk in the righteous way? And so this morning as we look at this introductory psalm, we're going to look at it from that particular vantage point to think about the two ways that are described for us here at the beginning of the collection of psalms. First of all, we want to consider what the psalmist has to say to us in verses 1 through 3 about the righteous way. Let's read those verses again. This psalm of course is reminiscent at least in my mind. It is very similar to the way that Jesus began that Sermon on the Mount as we mentioned just a moment ago. The greatest sermon that was ever preached is very similar to the Beatitudes that Jesus spoke as he began the Sermon on the Mount there in Matthew's record of that particular sermon. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those Who mourn, blessed are those who are meek, blessed are those who are reviled for the name of Jesus Christ, and all of those statements of blessing. And as that is recorded for us in the Gospel of Luke as well, although we may not know that particular passage as well, but there Luke records Jesus as giving some statements of blessing but also some statements of woe that follow. And here in that kind of vein, in that kind of thought, the psalmist is opening Psalm 1 by telling us how blessed is a particular person, how blessed is the man. And so from the very first words that he wrote, the psalmist is making clear to us, I believe, that it is only those who choose to walk in this way that he is describing for us here in verses 1 through 3. It is only those people who make the decision in their life that they are going to walk in the righteous way that are truly blessed people. It is only those people who make that decision to walk in the righteous way who are truly happy people. You know, the world world uses the word happiness to mean a lot of different things. It's not a bad word, of course, but the, the, the world has taken a lot of good words, even words that we read in scripture and has given them or assigned to them a number of different meanings perhaps that are different from what God had in mind. But in a sense, God does want, I believe, all of us who are his children to be happy. But it's not in the sense in which the world says, you you just need to be happy. You need to do or think or feel or act in a way that makes you happy. But God truly wants us to be blessed people. He wants to shower us with blessing. He does not want us to have death and adversity. He wants us to have life and prosperity. And it is only those people, again, who make the decision that they're going to walk in this way who will truly be blessed. True blessing then from verses one and two can only be found by joyfully walking in the law of the Lord, not by walking according to our own law or our own standard or the standard of the environment around us. It is not going to be found as the psalmist makes clear to us here in this psalm, that happiness, that blessing, that joy is not going to be found if we are people who are living our life just like everyone else around us, if we're walking in the counsel of the wicked. I want you to notice here the word pictures in verse 1 that the psalmist uses to describe the righteous walk. He says to us that this particular person does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. This righteous person does not stand in the path of the wicked. This righteous person does not sit in the seat of the wicked. And in telling us that the righteous man, the, the individual who has made the decision that he's going to live his life and walk in the righteous way, that this person doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, he is telling us that here is a person who does not think like those who are wicked, that those who are opposed to God. Here is a person who does not take their counsel, their advice, their wisdom. He's not living his life according to the wisdom of the world. He is living his life according to the wisdom of God, that which is from above in telling us that the righteous man does not stand in the path of sinners. He is telling us that here is a person who just is not like the the wicked around him, not only in his thinking or in the advice that he would take, but here is an individual who is not in his actions, in his behavior. He is not living a life according to that of sinners around him. And in telling us that here in walking the righteous way as a person who doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers or the scornful, that here is an individual who does not belong to those who are wicked, those who are opposed to God. He he is not of the mindset like so many people in our world even today that just laugh at God and make fun of God's word and make fun of God's promises and just kind of dismiss what God has to say. He's made decisions, he's made choices in his life that he's not going to walk, he's not going to stand, he's not going to sit with those who are opposed to God. Well, there certainly does seem to be somewhat of a progression here from walking to standing to sitting, one writer said about this particular picture that the psalmist is trying to put into our mind, that the journey was in the wrong direction from the start. (laughs) And I think that's exactly right. That if we do not think like the world, we're not going to act like the world. If we don't give the world's thinking a place of residence in our mind, we we will never find ourselves uh, having to uh, go in the direction of the wicked. We will never walk with them. We will never stand with them. We will never sit with them. I want to take your mind to a few other passages that I have here on the screen to just kind of Uh, flesh out that particular point a little bit that I believe the psalmist is driving home to us here at the beginning of Psalm 1. First of all from Proverbs chapter 1 at verse 15 of course the wise man is writing through these early chapters specifically to his son to his children and he gives his son this instruction uh, after he tells his son in the preceding verses to verse 15 that there, there are going to be influences out there in the world. There are going to be your friends who want you to Walk and stand and sit in the way of the wicked. But here is the instruction he gives to his son in verse 15. My son, he says, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your feet from their path. And then over in chapter 4 at verses 14 and 15, again, some similar wisdom that he passes on here to all of us. He says, do not enter the path of the wicked and do not proceed in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Do not pass by it. Turn away from it and pass on. The the wise man is saying here, just don't get yourself involved in that. Don't take the first step in that direction. Don't even take the first step to begin to walk, much less to stand or to sit with those who are wicked. Just cut it off at the beginning. And then we are mindful, of course, of the instruction that the Apostle Paul gives to us today as Christians, as followers of Christ, when he talks to us about the fact that we have been called by God to be living in holy sacrifices, that we are to present our bodies to God as that every day that we live. But he gives this instruction in Romans 12 and verse 2. He says, "...and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed." How are we transformed? Paul says that we are transformed by the renewing of our minds so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. You see, it begins with our thinking. It begins with what we uh, dwell upon in our mind from day to day. It begins by how we uh, allow or, or what we choose to come into our minds and the filter that we put upon our minds that we don't even begin to think like the wicked. And so if we make that decision, then we're not going to stand with the wicked and we will not sit with the wicked. We will not become like them. Having said that, though, we need to all realize that we're all going to think about something right. (laughs) I mean, there are a lot of times at night when I have trouble going to sleep and I just can't shut my mind off. There may not be any problems or Or challenges or difficulties that are weighing on my mind, but I just can't shut my mind off. We are people who are thinking all the time. And the things that we think about is going to determine who we become, it's going to determine the way that we walk. And the righteous man, as we come back here to Psalm chapter, Psalm 1. The psalmist here tells us that the righteous man is a person who finds true pleasure. He is a first person who finds true joy in God's law, in the counsel of God. Not in the counsel of the wicked, but in the counsel of God Himself. Here's a person who finds true pleasure in the way of God, in the will of God. And therefore, he is an individual who is meditating on it continually, as the psalmist says to us here, day and night. I think about what the psalmist Of Psalm 119 wrote about these particular thoughts. And I don't know exactly who it was, if it was David or someone else that wrote Psalm 119. But this whole entire psalm, the longest psalm in the Psalter, 176 verses long, is just all about the Word of God and our relationship to the Word of God and our relationship to the One who gave the Word, God Himself. Notice some things that he says here in the passages I have on the screen. In Psalm 119, beginning at verse 16, He says to us there that I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. And then at verse 97, uh, notice that he continues this thought. He says, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. The the psalmist here, Psalm 119, is really saying to us what the, the psalmist of Psalm 1 is telling us. That here is an individual who just finds a joy, a pleasure, a delight in coming to the Word of God, that he can find treasures there. That he has taken God's Word and treasured it or hidden it in his heart so that he wouldn't sin against God. That what is going into his mind every day, what is directing his thought process is what is directing his daily life, his actions, his behavior. The psalmist also tells us as we come back to this these pictures that he is putting in our mind of the righteous way, of that individual that has chosen that way. When we come back to Psalm 1 at verse 3, he says to us here that the righteous individual is comparable to this strong, stable, healthy tree that, that is drawing sustenance from this refreshing river that, that gives it everything it needs to prosper, everything it needs to be productive so that it is a fruitful individual. Here is a person who is prospering spiritually here is a person who is producing spiritual fruit if you will as you think about a tree that uh, perhaps as he's calling our attention here to a fruit tree maybe we may not have a whole lot of fruit trees around this part of the country Uh, but if you go to other parts of the country they're, they're all over the place And you can just see uh, that tree that is full, that is vibrant, that is colorful, that is healthy, it is strong, it is stable. And that's the picture that the psalmist is trying to paint in our minds. Here is a person, if you want to have stability in your life, if you want to be fruitful and productive for God, here is the kind of person you need to be, here is the choice you need to make in your life about the way in which you are to walk. In essence, we could sum that up by saying that the righteous way yields a fruitful life in the Lord. Think about, again, over in Psalm 92, what the psalmist has to say to us here about having a fruitful life. Psalm 92, beginning at verse 12, he says to us here in kind of similar language that we're reading this morning from Psalm 1, that the righteous man will flourish, Not, not just survive but here's an individual who's going to thrive. The righteous man will flourish like the palm tree. He will grow like a cedar in Lebanon. We, we may not know it, that, that language or that picture of a cedar in Lebanon is kind of lost on us today because we're living in a different time. We're living in a different place, halfway around the world from Lebanon. But you might remember from your studies in the Old Testament, those, those cedars of Lebanon were strong, mighty, tall trees. That, that was strong, solid wood. And so he's saying that we will grow up like that. The righteous man will. Verse 13, "...planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of God. They will still yield fruit in old age. They shall be full of sap and very green, to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in Him." Even when we are advanced in age, even when our physical body may be wearing out, that our spirit, our soul is continuing to be renewed, that we're continuing to produce fruit for the Lord. It may not be, look like exactly the same kind of fruit that we produced earlier in our life, but we're going to continue to be fruitful, bearing fruit and productive in His vineyard. And so that's the picture that the psalmist gives us here of the righteous way. But then he talks to us, coming back to our text in Psalm 1 at verse 4, about the wicked way. And he just says very simply to us there that the wicked are not so, but they are like chaff, which the wind drives away. Here is a stark contrast, obviously, to the righteous person, that those who are wicked, he said, are not so. And everything that he has said on the positive side and all the beautiful language and pictures, the colorful language that he has given us there in verses 1 through 3 about the righteous man and the righteous way and his life. All all of those things are not so about those who are wicked. He says also to us there at the end of verse 4 that they are like chaff. Which the wind drives away. That that is another imagery, I think, that is lost on us in our culture today, where we have by and large moved away from an agrarian agricultural culture, and we are more people who live in cities and towns, and we do different kinds of jobs than perhaps people in the past have done. But what does that particular phrase mean? Chaff which the wind drives away? What what does that bring to mind? Well, from what I understand in the winnowing process, the, the grain is separated from the chaff by means of, of blowing air upon that. And the, the grain, that which is heavier, that which has more stability, that which is more solid, if you will, it falls to the ground and it is collected and it is eaten or is sold. But that which is chaff just blows away. It doesn't have any substance to it. And so that is the picture that the psalmist is trying to tell us here that that chaff being light is just blown away, but that which is grain, that which is heavier, that which is, has more solidity to it, it remains. And so he again is drawing for us in our minds a sharp contrast here at verse 4 between the grain and the chaff, between the righteous and the wicked, if you will, and telling us once again that the righteous are those individuals who are solid, they are stable, they are spiritually health, uh, healthy, they are individuals who are useful. That they are being productive again in God's kingdom. But the wicked, quite contrary to that, they are hollow. It it may seem on the outside that they have everything together, that their life is going great, that they don't have any problems to deal with. But he's telling us the reality of the situation is those who are wicked are really hollow on the inside. That they are people who are kind of shaky. They are people who are not healthy. They are sick. They are people who do not have use in God's kingdom. They are not being useful with their life, if you will. And we see those who are wicked described in similar ways. Over in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, is the apostle Peter, I believe here, is describing specifically for us those who would be false prophets or false teachers. And they're kind of uh, uh, M.O., if you will how they go about doing their work. In 2 Peter chapter 2, at verse 17, he says to us about these individuals that they are springs without water and mist driven by a storm for whom the black darkness has been reserved. A similar picture that Jude puts in our mind in that little book of Jude. In verses 12 and 13, he says to us that these are men who are hidden reefs in your love feast, When they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves. Listen to these descriptions. Clouds without water, carried along by winds. Autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted. Wild waves of the sea, casting up their own shame like foam. Wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. Again, I believe these passages and many more that we could consider this morning are all pointing back, giving us the same idea. Ought to be putting the same picture in our mind that the psalmist is telling us here in Psalm 1 and verse 4. They're like chaff which the wind drives away. Here are people who are spiritually empty. They they don't have any substance to them, spiritually speaking. Here are folks, because they are that way, they're not going to be productive. They're, They're not going to be, as Lance pointed out to us this morning before the collection, they're not God's workmanship in Christ Jesus. They are people who do not have any substance, spiritually speaking, to them. You know, Satan often takes these two pictures that the psalmist is comparing and contrasting for us here in Psalm 1. And he often distorts these two pictures and he does a really good job of that many times even to the point of kind of turning them upside down so that our world sees those who are wicked, those who are opposed to the righteous way as being people of substance, that they are the people of stability, they are the people of success, they are the models, the examples that are held before us that we are to emulate in our lives while seeing those of us who are trying to be righteous as just worthless, useless fools. In other words... I think Satan has done a really good job of telling us that worldly minded people are normal and that's how we should be. While those of us who are other worldly people that we are very weird, we are strange. But God is telling us the reality here in Psalm 1. While the common perception is that the wicked are those who are successful and the righteous are just, total failures. That is only a mirage. The reality is just the opposite. And that is what I believe the psalmist is trying to point out to us here in Psalm 1. As you think about that particular point to think about a few other things that the psalmist have written to us along these lines from Psalm 73, Psalm 73, beginning at verse 1. Here the psalmist Asaph said, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart, but as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped for I was envious of the arrogant and I saw the prosperity of the wicked for there are no pains in their death and their body is fat. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like mankind. That, that is not just an American problem. That's not just a 21st century problem that we as Christians today have. It has always been the case that those who have walked in the righteous way have looked at those who are wicked and maybe from an earthly perspective, from a temporary perspective, it looks like they have everything together. It looks like they have no troubles, no problems, no issues at all to deal with. But that's just the perception. That is something that is a mirage. It is not the reality. The psalmist also speaks about that in Psalm 37, this entire psalm really is an encouragement. It is an admonition that we are not to uh, fret. We are not to be worried about those who are wicked. We are not to certainly want to be like them. Psalm 37, notice a few verses I have here on the screen. First of all, verses 1 and 2. The psalmist here says, Do not fret because of evildoers. Be not envious toward wrongdoers, for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb beginning down at verse 9 and reading through verse 11. He goes on to say, "...for evildoers will be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. Yet a little while, and the wicked man will be no more, and you will look carefully for his place, and he will not be there. But the humble will inherit the land, and will delight themselves in abundant prosperity." And then down to verse 18, "...the Lord knows the days of the blameless, and their inheritance will be forever." They will not be ashamed in the time of evil, and in the days of famine they will have abundance. But the wicked will perish, and the enemies of the Lord will be like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. This is just a constant refrain, especially throughout the Psalms, as we look at our own life and we think sometimes, why are we having to suffer because we have made the choice to walk in the righteous way? Aren't we again, as the Psalm Psalm 1 begins, we are to be blessed people? How blessed is the man who walks in the righteous way? Certainly that is true. And so Satan sometimes can even play tricks with our minds and he can begin to cause us to think, well, maybe I'm doing something wrong. (laughs) Maybe I've chosen the wrong path in life. But God is telling us the reality. He is... Pointing us all the way to the end, that those who are righteous are going to stand, and those who are wicked are not. Which brings us to the end of this short psalm, the end of the two ways that the psalmist describes for us here in verses five and six. He says, Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, and the way of the wicked will perish. Now, as we come to the end of Psalm 1, now the common perception has gone by the wayside. And now reality sets in. But because, as we just described, as the psalmist has described for us back in verse 4, because those who are wicked are just kind of empty shells, he says to us at the end of the psalm that they will not stand in the judgment that they will not be in attendance in the assembly of the righteous. And we can think about that even now, that they're not going to be among those who are counted as righteous people before God. They're not going to be in the midst of us. They're not going to be in the assembly. They're not going to be in Christ's church. Or we can think about that later in the final judgment, that they're not going to be able to stand because they did not make the decision at some point in their life that they were going to go in the righteous way. While the Lord certainly knows the way of both individuals, He knows the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked, I believe the psalmist is calling to our attention here at these last two verses when he tells us the Lord knows the way of the righteous that God takes special notice of and God provides special care for and yes, God approves of the way of those who are His righteous ones. Once again, going back to Psalm 37. Psalm 37 and toward the end of that particular psalm. Again, the psalmist is just driving this point home again, uh, uh, once again, that he has been making throughout this entire psalm. At verse 35, he says, I have seen a wicked, violent man spreading himself like a luxuriant tree in its native soil. Then he passed away and lo, he was no more. I sought for him, but he could not be found. Mark the blameless man and behold the upright, for the man of peace will have a posterity, but transgressors will be altogether destroyed. The posterity of the wicked will be cut off, but the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in Him. Again, God knows everything that's going on. We need to remember that sometimes. And maybe we we quickly forget that as we look into our world today and we see all the chaos that is going on. We we see all of the uh, things that are being said and done that are in such opposition to God's will. But we need to remember that, that God is seeing all of that. He knows the way of the wicked as well as the way of the righteous but He has a special care for, and He's going to take care of us, even if we should lose our earthly life, that God is going to provide for us. As we come back to Psalm 1, then the psalmist reminds us there that the way of the wicked will perish, while the walk of those who are wise ends in eternal life, and those who are righteous The walk of those who are wicked ends in eternal destruction. Once again, from Psalm 92, we've looked at a passage already from this psalm, but to look at a few verses before what we just read, back to verse 5. The psalmist here writes, How great are your works, O Lord, how your thoughts are very deep. A senseless man has no knowledge, nor does a stupid man understand this, that when the wicked sprouted up like grass and all who did iniquity flourished, It was only that they might be destroyed forevermore. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold, your enemies, O Lord. For behold, your enemies will perish, and all who do iniquity will be scattered. And then as we said at the very beginning of our sermon this morning, the words of Jesus Himself as he is closing down that great mountain message in Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14, that we all have a choice about which way we're going to live. But if we choose to walk in the broad way, that's going to lead to destruction, eternal destruction. If we choose to walk in the narrow way, the righteous way, that is going to lead us to life eternal. One writer said about this closing verse here at Psalm 1 he said so the two ways and there is no third part forever i think we as americans are just kind of used to in a lot of ways a lot of things in our life we are used to having a lot of options aren't we we're used to having a lot of choices when we go to a fast uh, fast food place or sit down restaurant We want to look at the menu. We want to see what all of our options, what all of our choices are about what we can eat that particular day. We are are used to having choices. But the psalmist is calling our attention here in Psalm 1 as he begins this collection of psalms that there are not a multitude of choices when it comes to the way that we live our life. There are only two. And we can choose to walk in the righteous way or we can choose to walk in the wicked way the choice is up to us. As He has done since the time that He created us, God still gives us a choice today between one of these two ways in which we're going to live our lives. What about you this very morning? Which way are you choosing today? Because you are choosing one of those two ways. There there is no A neutral path. We we can, as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, sit on the fence. We cannot serve God and wealth. We have to make a choice. And so the psalmist is calling us through Psalm 1 this morning to make a choice. Which way are you choosing this morning? Are you choosing the way of righteousness or are you choosing the way of wickedness? If you are walking in the wicked way, all hope is not lost. God has provided a a remedy for our problem of sin, and it's His Son, Jesus the Christ. Would you come to Him this morning? Would you get off that wicked path? And would you come and walk in the way of righteousness, the way of the Son of Jesus Christ? You can come this morning before this audience confessing your faith that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of God. You can come repenting of your sins, and we'll be happy to baptize you into Christ this very hour. You can have all those sins washed away, taken away. If as a child of God, you started down the righteous path at some point in your life in the past, but maybe you have gotten off the path and you have begun to walk and to think, to stand, to sit. You have become too, you have started to look like the people of the world around us that don't care about God. All hope is not lost for you either. You can get back on the righteous way this morning. You can get back on the path that leads to eternal life. It may just be this morning that you're struggling because it is a difficult way to walk. Jesus didn't tell us that it's going to be easy. He said it's going to be very difficult. And it may be that those difficulties are weighing you down and you need some help to walk in the righteous way. And you need the help and the prayers, the encouragement of your brethren here to do that. Whatever your condition might be, whatever your need might be this morning, if you know that you need to respond to the invitation of Jesus Christ, we would encourage you to do that very thing right now as we stand and as we sing.